You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. This morning, as we begin our service together, I want to level the playing field for us. Often when we talk about temptation, or we think about temptation, we are made to feel that we are the only one in the world that struggles with temptation. That we're the only one in the world that struggles with sin. And so to begin our time together today, I want to ask you to do something. If you struggle with temptation, would you please stand to your feet? If you struggle, all right? I'm gonna come down here with you, (laughs) sit down, and then I'll stand up as well, all right? I want you to look around you. This is the lie that the enemy gets us to believe that you're the only one that struggles with temptation. That you're the only one that struggles with sin. And so I want you to see that you're in a room full of people that struggle with it. This is the reality of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. We live in a broken world. The devil and his workers are at work. And so we're all going to struggle with temptation. So yes, your parents struggle with temptation. Yes, your grandparents struggle with temptation. Yes, your pastors struggle with temptation. Yes, your Antioch group leader struggles with temptation. Yes, your student leader struggles with temptation, right? So I want you to see that 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is right, that there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. You're seeing it's common to man. But God is faithful, right? And we're gonna see how God has been faithful through our text today. But here's where I wanna get really challenged. If you struggle with No, just kidding. I won't go there. Everybody's like freaking out now. Like, oh man, this went too far. I could get with everybody struggling with temptation, but let's not get specific. That draw the line of my ability to share, right? Hey, if you got your Bible, seriously, stay standing and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter four is where we're going to be today in the text. And I understand. So last week, we entered the inauguration of Jesus's public ministry. If you remember from Matthew chapter two to Matthew chapter three, we jumped ahead 27 years, okay? So we went from his birth, his toddler years to now, Jesus is about 30 years old, right around there. And he's beginning his public ministry. And there was an inauguration, a beginning of this new season, this new period of life where Jesus is going to go public with who he is. And so we saw that 
John the Baptist prepared the way, right? He set the groundwork for Jesus and he went into the wilderness and preached the gospel of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And people were coming out to him and responding to that and being baptized. Then Jesus comes out to John the Baptist and is baptized by John the Baptist. And at that, we see the affirmation of the Trinity Jesus saying, we got to do what is the right thing to do. The Holy Spirit visibly through a dove ascending, coming down upon Jesus as a way to show the crowd, this is who he says he is, that he is Jesus and I'm going to use him for my purposes. And then the father's voice speaks and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Affirmation from the Trinity. And then we move to the last part of Jesus's inauguration, which is his temptation. And we find that in Matthew chapter four, verses one through 11. I'll read out loud. You follow along in your Bible or on your device. It says this, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Father, thank you for the gift of of the word. And we thank you that this word today is living and active. And so today I don't have to bring this book alive. It is alive and it is actively working in our church. And so I pray that your word would do its intended work today. I pray that it would draw our hearts to you whether through conviction, encouragement, or challenge, I pray that as we look to you and as we look to your word, that all of us would be drawn to you today through it. Open our hearts to see you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So Matthew chapter four begins with this statement. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now we in the 21st century read those first two verses and can see the context and understand what's going on. Like, okay, he was baptized by John the Baptist. Now the spirit has led him into the wilderness. He's spending 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness and he's being tempted. We, we read it and it's sort of straightforward and is what it is. But the Jewish audience 
who Matthew was mainly writing to, would have seen this whole wilderness and being tested and 40 days and 40 nights as tying into their story. You see, the mind of the Jewish people would have ran to their history of passing through the Red Sea. When they came out of Egypt, they went through the water of the Red Sea. God parted it and they went through. And they would have seen that as Jesus' baptism. And then you see, after they came through the water, they spent the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Why did they spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2 tells us why. And you shall remember, he says to them, the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. God allowed them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years to test their hearts. And when they would have read that Jesus was led in the wilderness to be tempted, they would have seen the parallel between their ancestors and what Jesus was experiencing. Experiencing, They, as God's son, we know from Exodus chapter 4 and verse 22 that he referred to Israel as God's son, they failed the test in the wilderness. And so today we come to see God's son, Jesus. Remember Matthew chapter 2 and 15, where it says, out of Egypt, I have called my son. We come to the text today to see how does Jesus deal with temptation? Does he give in? Does he not pass the test like the children of Israel did in the wilderness? Or does he pass the test? What's interesting is it says that the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. The same spirit that they saw descend upon Jesus at his baptism is the one leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tested. And the devil is the one doing the tempting. This is consistent with the rest of scripture. If you go back to the story of Job in Job chapter 1, you find that the devil has gone throughout the whole earth and he's looking for people to tempt. When he comes before God, God says to Joe or to the devil, have you considered my servant Job? And God allows the devil to tempt Job. I like what I read this week from a guy by name of David Platt in his commentary on Matthew and speaking of Job. He said, the book of Job teaches us that Satan is on a leash, right? I love that. So God allows testing and the devil does the tempting, but he only gets so much of a leash, right? He can only go so far be- before he'll pull that leash back and say that, that, that's good enough. In James chapter one in verse 13, the Bible says that God can't be tempted And God himself tempts no one. That the the devil is the one that does the tempting. So God can't tempt and God cannot be tempted and he does not do the tempting. That the devil is the one that does the tempting. Now here's the struggle for us. If we believe that God is, that Jesus is fully God and fully man, then how does that work? 
If James chapter 1 and verse 13 is the truth that God cannot tempt, cannot be tempted with evil, and he doesn't tempt, but the devil is the one that does the tempting, then, then how could Jesus be fully God and fully man in this moment? I came across this illustration from a man by the name of Russell Moore, and I think it helps us understand temptation and what's going on in this moment. Think of the person, he says, in this world that you love the most. Picture their face and then ask yourself, could I murder that person? Immediately, you're thinking, absolutely not. And in that response, what you're thinking is, I don't have the moral capacity of murdering that person. But if you understood my question, he says, could you murder that person in terms of physically performing an action, though it is unfathomable to you, it would be physically possible. Even so, Jesus, in his deity, as the light of the world, in whom there is no darkness, could not have sinned. He is morally incapable of such action. Yet at the same time, Jesus could have sinned in the sense that he was physically capable of eating bread or throwing himself off the temple or bowing the knee to Satan. In this way, Jesus was fully tempted, as we read in Hebrews 4, as we are yet without sin. Jesus is being tested by his father to see if he is ready and willing to take on what lies in front of him, not just this temptation, but namely the cross that will come. It is testing his obedience to his father's plan for his life. Verse two says, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Don't you love the Bible, right? Like, yes, he was probably hungry after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. Now, what is fasting? Fasting is the idea that you put away food for the purpose of seeking the Lord. And so Jesus has chosen being led by the spirit to forsake food for 40 days. Now it says after 40 days, and I think there's probably truth to that. But if you go to Luke chapter four and verse two, and Luke recounts the temptations of Jesus, you see that he makes it seem as if almost throughout the whole 40 days, Jesus is being tempted. So although it wasn't like, hey, it was good for 40 days and then you get to the last day and it's tough, it has probably been the whole season of 40 days and nights of him being tempted by the devil. And we see that the authors of scripture choose to let us know about three temptations that Jesus will face, starting in verse three. These are the three temptations that Jesus is gonna face. Jesus is gonna face the temptation to turn stone into bread, verses three and four, to jump off the pinnacle of the temple and be rescued by God in verses five through seven, and worship the devil so he can have the kingdoms of this world in verses 8 through 10. So let's work through each one of these three temptations. The first temptation, verse 3. The tempter, the devil, comes and says to him, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He begins, and he'll do this in the next one as well, if you are the son of God. Didn't we just hear last Sunday in Matthew chapter three that 
God the Father had referred to Jesus as his beloved son. So we know that Jesus is the son of God. In fact, I would say the devil knew that Jesus is the son of God. So why does he say to him, if you are the son of God? Here's what the devil is trying to tempt Jesus He's trying to tempt Jesus in the area of what his sonship means to his father. Think of it this way. Would a loving father let his son starve to death in the wilderness? No, right? So the enemy is saying, God the father doesn't love you. So just take things into your own hands and turn the stone into bread, right? Take care of your needs on your own. You have the ability to do that. And your father really doesn't love you because he wouldn't let you go through this if he loved you. So you go ahead and take things into your own hands and turn the stones into bread. What's interesting is this is what happened to the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 16. In Exodus chapter 16, they've just passed through the Red Sea and this great miracle that God has done for them in delivering from them from the enemy of Egypt. They went through the water like Jesus goes through the water of baptism and comes out. They're on the other side. They're headed into the wilderness. They're headed to the promised land. And what do they do? They complain to God and to Moses about bread. Look at Exodus chapter 16. Verses two and three. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Isn't that, to think about that, it's a little bit like, I'm confused. Didn't you just see God take you through the Red Sea and part the waters and do this incredible feat? And now you're in the wilderness and you're a little bit hungry and you're like, what a mean father. He's taken us out here to starve us to death. He could have at least killed us in Egypt when we had plenty of bread to eat. But here's the deal. Jesus is the better son. And so Jesus doesn't sin against his father by complaining. Look at how Jesus responds. Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. And he's saying to the devil, it's better for me to wait for God to provide than for me to fulfill the desires of my flesh. Jesus is so confident in his relationship with his father that he knows his father will provide for him when the time is right. And he's willing to wait for God to provide even something as simple as bread when the time is right. The devil knows, church, that we belong to God, but he wants us to doubt the goodness and the faithfulness of God. He wants you and I to think, man, God really wouldn't do this to you if he really loved you. He wouldn't let you be in this situation. He wants you to doubt the goodness of God. And he's trying to get his 
God's son to be like, ah, you're right. My dad doesn't really love me, right? My father doesn't love me. And so I need to take things into my own hands. He doesn't respond that way. Instead, he's the better son. And he says, no, the Bible says man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I can trust that God's gonna provide at just the right time for me. This is the first temptation Jesus encounters. The second is to jump off the pinnacle of the temple and be rescued by God. So verse five, the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. The devil again tempts Jesus to test his relationship with his father. He takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, which would have been about 450 feet in the air. According to early tradition, James, the head of the Jerusalem church, was martyred by being thrown from this same place. Right? So this is way up in the air. To help us picture it, if you think of the Liberty Memorial by Union Station, that's 217 feet high. So double that, and you get to the pinnacle of the temple. And the devil comes to Jesus and says, I'm going to play your game here. You're quoting scripture. It is written. I'm going to quote scripture to you. And I think to myself, when I think of the devil, like, you're an idiot. You know what I'm saying? Like, to think that you can twist the word of God before the word himself just shows the arrogance of the enemy. So what he does is he says, here's the deal. We're up 450 feet in the air. Throw yourself down because here's what the Bible says. Let's play that game. It is written, Psalms 91. And the Psalms 91 says that God's going to protect you. And so here's the deal, Jesus. You throw yourself off that pinnacle of that temple. God comes and rescues you. Here's the reality. Everybody's going to know you're the son of God. Everybody's going to know you're the Messiah right? Because you've proven it by a sign. Psalms 91, it's been fulfilled right before your eyes. This feat will prove that you are the Messiah. And I love Jesus in verse seven comes back and says again, here's what he's saying. Scripture doesn't contradict itself. So we're going to go back to the word. You went to the word. Let's go back to the word. And here's what the word says in Deuteronomy chapter six, In verse three, it says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. We're not gonna test the Lord here and prove that he, that I am the King of Kings, the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for. We're not gonna do that because we don't test the Lord our God in Deuteronomy chapter six. But here's what's really neat is this is actually taking us back to Exodus chapter 17. So go all the way back to Exodus chapter 17. So in Exodus 16, they're complaining about the food. God provides manna from heaven. Exodus chapter 17, guess what the sun of God are doing the the children of Israel they are complaining again surprise surprise right in Exodus chapter 17 it says the people quarreled with Moses verse 2 saying give us water to drink and Moses said to them why do you quarrel with me why do you test the Lord 
But the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with the people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord goes on to provide for the people and for water. But in Exodus chapter 17, in verse 7, it says, Because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? They tested the Lord by doubting his presence with them in the provision of water. They're saying God wasn't proving himself. And so Jesus, by saying, don't test the Lord your God, Jesus is saying, I don't need to prove God's love and care for me. You heard him say, I'm his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. So I don't need to test that love. I don't need to prove that. I'm secure in my relationship with my father. The third temptation comes in verse 8 and again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdom of the world and their glory and he said all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me so here's the deal the whole hunger deal didn't work right that didn't go so well the whole twist the scripture deal didn't work either so finally the devil goes for the heart he says just bow down and worship me And I will give you all the kingdoms of this world and their glory. We don't know where the devil took Jesus, but we know that he offers him all he has. The kingdoms of this world and glory. This reminds us of John chapter 12 in verse 31, where the devil is referred to as the ruler of this world. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, the devil is referred to as the prince and power of the air. So we know on this earth... The devil has limited authority. So remember, he's on a leash, right? So he has limited power and authority. So this is a legitimate offer that he is making to Jesus. He can give him some of the kingdom and the glory. He is, does have authority over that. But think about the absurdity of what he is offering Jesus. The one who in John chapter one and verse one, John records for us, in the beginning was the word. So this Jesus, he's the word, has been there from the beginning. And the word was with God and the word was God. Listen, he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So think about the absurdity of this created being offering the creator kingdom and glory. It's absurd. Here's what the devil is offering Jesus. He's offering Jesus temporary power, authority, and control. He is trying to get Jesus to live for the temporary rather than the eternal. He's trying to get Jesus to skip suffering, sorrow, and the death on the cross for a quick fix. He's trying to shortcut the plan of God. He's saying, come on. See all this stuff? 
you bow down and worship me and you can have it all. I would propose to you, church, that the core of every temptation in our lives comes back to worship. Are we going to worship the creator or the creation? Romans chapter 1. And in this moment, Jesus was tempted by the evil one to take the temporary rather than the eternal. Jesus responds with, be gone, Satan. <laughs> I've had enough of you. This is making me upset. Be gone. You're, you are absurd and your temptations are ridiculous. Why? Because it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus is saying to the devil, my allegiance belongs to my father. You can't tempt me with power, Jesus says, because I know the one who has all power. You can't tempt me with glory because I know the one who has all glory. Jesus refuses to exchange the temporary, the kingdoms of this world and their glory. He refuses to exchange that for the eternal. He refuses to shortcut the plan of God, which was your and ours redemption through his life. If he had given in to the temporary, we would not be in this room today. But he was willing to go through sorrow and suffering and ultimately the cross of Jesus Christ so that you and I could be made right with God. Verse 11 ends this inauguration of Jesus by saying, then the devil left him. And we all clap for that, right? Like, amen, the devil's gone. And I wonder if James, when he's writing the book of James in James chapter four and verse seven, if his mind doesn't go to Jesus's words about resisting the devil, because in James chapter four and verse seven, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I wonder if James is writing these words, if his mind is running back to Jesus' temptations and remembering that as Jesus resisted and resisted and resisted the evil one, resisted the devil, eventually he fleed from him. We can follow his example by resisting the devil and the devil will flee from us. Now we know the devil's gonna come back, but in this moment, the devil is gone and I love the goodness of the father in that he sent angels and they came and ministered to Jesus. Amen. How good is God to send his angels to whip up a meal for Jesus and to comfort him and to say, you're on the right path. You've done the right thing. See, here's the point of what Matthew is showing us is that Jesus is the better son, right? That is, he's referencing back to the children of Israel and their failure and that they couldn't handle the testing. They gave in to the temptation. They complained about the bread. 
They complained about not having water. They worshiped other gods. Jesus, the better son, has come and he has not given in to the temptation of bread. He has not given in to the temptation to test God. He has not given in to the temptation to worship other gods. Therefore, he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And he could die on the cross and be the better son who would die in our place. He could absorb the wrath of God that was rightfully ours because of our sin, because he lived the life that you and I could never live. Jesus is the better son. And this gives us hope for today. Because he's lived the life that we couldn't live because he's lived the life we couldn't live, we could be in right relationship with him. And so my question is this, are you in right relationship with God? You don't have to be perfect. Jesus has been perfect on your behalf. You don't have to absorb the wrath of God by being separated from him forever. You don't have to do that. Why? Because Jesus went to the cross for you and absorbed the wrath of God for you. And the Bible says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Today, you can be made right with God through the person of Jesus Christ. And before we observe communion together, I would encourage you to take that step of faith. For the first time, to be able to take communion and understand what it means for his blood to be shed for you and his body to be broken for you because he loved you. And he wanted you to have a way to be made right with him through his son, Jesus. And if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, isn't it good to know that Jesus was the better son? Because we so reflect the children of Israel in our lives, right? We so, as we all agreed, we all struggle with temptation. We give in to that temptation. But isn't it great to have one who endured that, who suffered and went through the sorrows of temptation but didn't give in, that there's no sin in him and now our righteousness is his righteousness? all because of the cross of Jesus Christ. So so here's what I want us to do today. I want us to take communion together. When you came in, you should have had a communion cup and bread on your seat. And I want us to take a moment to reflect on the goodness of God through his son, Jesus, and reflect on what he did for us on the cross, that his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. I want to take a moment to reflect on that. I want to take a moment to reflect on the fact that as Jesus went to the cross, was he tempted again? Yeah. Remember what the crowd said? Hey, call 10,000 angels down. They'll come rescue you. But he stayed the course. He was obedient to the place of death. So let's take a minute and let's just in quietness remember what Jesus has done for us. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.